Welcome to this special edition of the Caber Ships podcast from the AFSIA USNI West Symposium in San Diego. This podcast is sponsored by HII. HII is America's premier shipbuilder and is the designer and operator of the U.S. Navy's live virtual constructive training enterprise, the largest in the Department of Defense. HII delivers the all-domain advantage. All right, so we're here in San Diego on the last day of the West Conference, and we're really privileged to sit down with some of the folks from the Navy's Meteorological Command. Um, these, these people do the weather, they do the they do oceanography, they do whatever's in the air, the entire environment. They assess it, they look for operational impacts, they inform all the operational commanders about this. It's big stuff, it's always in the background, but we're really lucky to have to talk to some of these folks today. So I'm going to start with um, Captain Kate Hermsdorfer. She's the commanding officer of the Fleet Weather Center at San Diego. Uh, Captain Hermsdorfer, welcome to the Doug with the podcast. Um, what the Fleet Weather Center San Diego does, are you Pacific? Are you, what, do you, what do you do? Yeah, great question. Um, so to your point, right, we have a fantastic team of about 400 individuals uh, covering from San Diego all the way out to Japan and Bahrain and we cover about two-thirds of the globe um, for our mission set. So we're doing the forecasting for any ship or aircraft or submarine that's leaving port in that AOR. Not a single one of those gets underway or takes off without a forecast from someone on our team. And that's either from our folks that are sitting in San Diego working a 24-7 operational watch floor where they're not only using their technical expertise to do forecasting, but also applying their understanding of the operations that uh, the folks out forward are undertaking in order to make a forecast and recommendations that are really relevant to them and help enhance their operations. So what I mean by that is, let's say that we've got a, a ship that's got to get from San Diego all the way to Guam, and uh, they're going to encounter some, some rough weather in between here and there. Our team likes to understand what is it that they're trying to do, where do they need to go, where do they need to be there, what are the operations they're going to do, and then they can make recommendations, right? Do we need to have you leave a day early? Do we need to have you drive right up to the storm's edge and then take a hard right? You know, what is it that's gonna allow you to, one, be safe, but two, do your operations in a way that's gonna give you an advantage? Uh, so just to sort of put it in perspective a little bit, obviously everybody knows the National Weather Service. The tech, our taxpayer dollars pay for yes. it. An awful lot of the commercial weather forecasting that everybody does comes from that. But that's the National Weather Service. They don't really do worldwide service. That's so you're, true. You're looking at everything. We're looking at everything. And one thing that really sets us apart is that we're looking at a part of the world where there's not a lot of observations. You don't have radars set up everywhere. You don't have weather balloons going regularly. So our team is really um, very skilled at looking at a place where we call it data sparse and creating a forecast where there's not one available otherwise. We've also got from the Fleet Water Center Command Master Chief, Gene Douglas. Gene, as, as, as the CMC for this operation, do you have people all in one location? Are you all spread out all over the place? What's, how, do you, how do you function as a CMC for this? So, so we, have, we have sailors, sailors and civilians um, as part of Fleet Weather Center San Diego uh, all, all over the world, um, Hawaii, Japan, locally here with our uh, ESCOT team. Uh, we have about 430, um, a group of about 430 folks that are, that are executing this mission. Um, whether it whether it be you know like Captain said uh, um, the ASW side of it, uh, um, 
uh, resource protection, um, uh, flight, uh, flight safety, uh, aviation missions, and, and and just direct support with our with our escort uh, component that gets underway on the ships and, and takes them takes them to deployment and get them wherever they need to do and, and supporting operations uh, at the tip of the spear. Uh, what what sort of ratings are the sailors that that, that are in your command? Most mostly AGs. Obviously, we're, we we need um, as AG is a aerographer's mate. Um, we uh, when they come into the Navy as an AG and they go they go do a, a four month A school to get them um, prepared to uh, to to do the job. Kind of a first line first line uh, set of training for them. Um, they learn ob observations and a little bit of uh, a little bit of the earlier science uh, behind um, the forecasting there. And then we'll send them out uh, send them out to a to a command for their first tour. Uh, and then they get a little bit of OJT and get their feet wet. A lot of observing uh, analyst, analyst stuff, the, the forecasters there and the chiefs and officers will teach these younger sailors um, how to get into using the, the TDAs, the uh, tactical decision aids that, that they're using to make the forecast. So the analysts will help um, kind of do the, the early part of the um, building of the products and then the forecasters will uh, kind of finalize that uh, with their greater experience. After their first tour, they will go back to sea school for a for a nine month school where they really get into the uh, the science, the the physics, and the dynamics behind what uh, what the what the weather regimes look like around the around the world um, at, at different scales um, uh, of weather, and, and and then they come back um, to the fleet after their school, and then and then they dig into more OJT where they learn how to. Um, a lot of it is for, for, for the fleet weather centers, we, we, we run, we have kind of a, of a, a mixed watch floor. We have a, a maritime side and an aviation side. So we'll take what they've learned and then, and then tailor it towards um, helping them support uh, the aviation mission with uh, planes flying around the world really. Uh, and then, and then the, the maritime side for, for ships and, and submarines that are uh, running around, uh, you know, floating around the, uh, the oceans. Um, and um, it's really a it's really a continuing effort um, as far as teaching and continuing the education of sailors to continue to refine and hone their skills as um, as forecasters. And we and, and we really expect a lot out of them to be able to um, help commanders make decisions um, and and put them put them in the right right position at the right time to to win a fight. All right. Thank you. We're also now we're going to switch over a little bit to the Fleet Numerical Meteorology and Oceanography Center. We have the commanding officer, Commander Christy Montgomery, with us. Hi, Christy. Hi. Thank you for being here. Um, can you describe what is the Fleet Numerical Meteorology and Oceanography Center? Oh, fantastic. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, so the Fleet Numerical Meteorology and Oceanography Center is a, a command that's distributed in Monterey and Stennis Space Center in Mississippi, Monterey, California, Stennis Space Center, Mississippi. And we do 24-7 uh, global numerical weather and oceanographic modeling for the Navy. When you say numerically, are you talking about third fleet, seventh fleet, that sort of thing, or what no. do you mean? So I mean uh, computational modeling. So we, we take billions of observations from satellites and ground sensors and buoys in the ocean. We ingest that data, we transform it, we create a state of the environment today and then we use a lot of amazing high-performance computing resources in Monterey and Stennis to perform all of these equations of state on that data at 
trillions of equations uh, solved per second to create a forecast of what the environment will be in 24, 48, 30, you know, on and on hours out in the future. And the really satisfying thing is that the sailors that that work at Captain Hermsdorfer's command and Commander uh, Siana's command get to use that predictive environment to then apply their amazing talent to uh, create a forecast that is Navy mission aware. So you're, you're sitting in a room with a lot of people who are just national treasures. We lead people who are national treasures, a really underrepresented uh, group of people in the Navy that do some really significant work, contribute to mission sets that are not just in the Navy, but at US Strategic Command, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, Everything that operates in the Department of Defense operates in the environment. And so understanding that battle space, understanding how to predict how that's going to change, critical to uh, warfighting success. This is really interesting, i got to tell you. We also have um, another commanding officer with us today, Commander Jim Siana. Is that right? Siana. He's the commanding officer of Strike Group Oceanography Team in San, in San Diego. Um, Commander, what what does your group do? The Strike Team Oceanography Strike Group Oceanography Team. So my command is one of two commands in naval oceanography that develops and deploys uh, aerographers, mates, AGs, and METOC officers to deploy on naval vessels, mainly our uh, carrier strike groups and our amphibious ready groups. Uh, our teams that deploy on there, they provide multi-spectrum environmental support uh, to support the operational commanders there in terms of their uh, decision making and tactical advantages uh, for our four deployed vessels. From an operational point of view, um, how, does, how does this fit in? This is a continuing stream of information that is available for people. So the, any, anybody planning any operation, a voyage, anything at all, do you, do you get special requests? What, what kind of special request would come into you besides this normal stream? I'm going to swing back over here to Captain Hermsdorfer of the Fleet Weather Center. Oh, we get all kinds of special requests. It can be anything from we recently supported, uh, there was a basketball game played on the Abraham Lincoln, and so we provided tailor forecasting, especially looking at when uh, is the dew point expected to lower to the point where you're going to have uh, moisture on the flight deck and it's going to inhibit the basketball game, right? So that's something kind of on the fun side. Um, and then we get all kinds of, of requests though, that span from we're doing a very special operation in a very special part of the world and we're going to need to know... Um, Sometimes it's climatology so that you enable planning long term, and then sometimes it's a very specific spot forecast to say, all right, we need to know exactly when the fog's going to clear so that we can do this exercise before anyone else is expecting it. Um, so I have a question. So mm -hmm. there, there are combatant commanders worldwide, Indo-PACOM, UCOM, AFRICOM. Do they have their own meteorology centers? Do you support those? How, what, how does this work? And also in the DOD, this is Navy. Obviously, you're going to pay a lot more attention, I would think, to the ocean environment than the Army might. But they have their own folks as well. How do you integrate with people? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, a lot of the numbered staffs do have their own oceanographer, a METOC officer, and some AGs. 
but a lot of it also is, again, coordinated through what we call reach-back support. So we've got centers that are excellent in what they do, whether it's numerical modeling with Captain Montgomery, whether it, it's the forecasting ashore, which my command provides, or the forecasting afloat that Commander Sienna's uh, team provides. So we all really do work together to know what our specialty is and also to point people in the right direction for what they need. Um, in addition, we do work really closely with the Air Force. Um, we're strengthening that partnership every day. We also work closely with NOAA uh, for CONUS operations. So there is a great partnership, sharing information, sharing data, sharing modeling, sharing capabilities to make sure that we are the strongest team together that we can be. Um, more specifically though, yes, we do have a primarily maritime focus. Uh, Air Force is primarily over land. Um, and the Air Force also provides uh, forecasting for the Army. But again, strengthening that partnership more and more every single day. So, I'm, and again, I'm not entirely sure where, 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 who the right direction yeah. is for the question. But for, for operational, and I'm, I'm just I'm taking things, obviously the, the Department of the Navy is, is, is uh, ships and Marines and aircraft and, and on the land environment and the submarines. sea. Submarines, don't forget submarines. On the land, in the sea, under the, under the sea, in the yeah. air. Um, it's a multi-environment situation, so people want to know what, what's the moon doing, what's the moon doing when, when I'm 200 miles out at sea, what am I doing when I'm coming into the shore, what am I doing when I'm 40 miles inland, what am I doing in 90 minutes from there, all that, again, working it back. Um, what kind of tools do you use for all these things? Are you, are you, I mean, you have basic land models, I mean, you have basic, you have data, you have historical data but you also want to know what's happening now. I think I'm thinking of things like gliders, um, aerostats, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm really asking, so there's well, a question. So what I think I would love to do is, there was a gentleman who just walked into the, to the room here. It's uh, Mr. Wade Ladner. He's the technical director of the Naval Oceanographic Office. And your question about gliders is so prescient because this is the guy who has the command that manages the undersea unmanned gliders all the way up to the TAGS oceanographic survey ships that do physical oceanography and bottom mapping and bathymetry. So, all right. Well, hi, sir. Again, Rodney. This is Wade. Wade Ladner. Yes. All right. And well, thank you, sir. Nice to meet you. Um, all right. You, you heard the question. So, you know, Naval Oceanographic Office is one of the production centers within Naval Naval Oceanography. We have about 750 of the approximately 12 to 1300 civilians in naval oceanography. Um, you know, we help augment that, that military force, which is about 12 to 1300 uh, milpers as well. Um, what we do is we collect the oceanographic information that feeds the ocean forecast models that Fleet Numerical runs and actually climatologies that are used by the FWICs to actually provide that support to the fleet. Um, we collect the data through various means. The TAGS, 60 class ships, is really Sorry, TAG, This is TAGS, yes, sir. which is a survey ship. It is, it is. We operate six, six of those. Um, they're all forward deployed. They don't have home ports, um, so they operate all over the world. Uh, mapping the oceans, collecting oceanographic data, uh, we have a series of autonomous underwater vehicles that we can operate off so, those so as just, well. Just to sort of bring that into present, so this, the Chinese balloon, quote, quote, um, that just came down off uh, Myrtle Beach. So you had, had, a, had a TAGS, TAGS survey ship, go out and 
mapped the ocean floor around that area quickly. They spent about two days out there. We did. Uh, they spent several days running a high-resolution multi-beam sonar, you know, looking for stuff on the bottom. Uh, it was the USNS Pathfinder Tag 60. Um, but we do that from littoral area all the way to deep ocean with the DAX class ships in AUVs. We also have a suite of persistent sensors that we deploy. Um, gliders is one of those, ocean gliders. Uh, we can deploy those for three to six months. It, but for people who don't, I mean, people think of a glider as something in the air. A sea glider is it works similar concepts. I mean, it's got one mechanical device, which is the tail fin, which can change direction. But basically, it uses a pump to pump oil to and fro the, the nose, um, which changes its buoyancy. So if it's heavy in the front, it actually glides through the water in, in a downward direction, and it pulls the, the oil back and actually changes the buoyancy towards the rear, and it glides up um, through the water column. And it collects oceanographic information as it's traversing that, that up and down path. I've been passed a note here that says you have the largest fleet in the world of unmanned underwater vehicles. I'm going to assume that that's, there's a lot of gliders in there. It is. Uh, we have a program of record which actually does the acquisition for our gliders. And, and under that program of record, we try to maintain an inventory of about 150 that we can deploy worldwide. Um, we also use profiling floats and, and surface drifters. Uh, it's an Argos-type float. Um, we've recently established the capability of being able to deploy those out of airplanes so we can get anywhere in the world quickly and deploy those persistent oceanographic sensors as well. Um, and we've had 537 deployments during the year of 2022 of our ocean gliders and have surveyed about 59,000 nautical miles by those. One thing that always bothers me when I watch the weather on TV, whether it's the Weather Channel or CNN or anybody else locally, um, aside from the fact that the United States, continental United States, seems to end uh, on the north side of Minnesota, and there's nothing up there, um, there's nothing below Texas, uh, I also cringe at this line that people say, well, the storm is coming up the coast, but that's our guess, but, but uh, in about 12 hours it's going to move safely out to sea, we won't have to worry about it. And I always think, well, that's nice for you, but there's somebody else out there who probably is going to be worried about it. Um, you, this is really your focus. I, I mean, do you have any, any reaction to that about the, about the importance of being awareness of the environment safely out to sea? It's not always that safe out there, is it? For deployed sailors, uh, that, that's what we do. The primary mission is the safety of navigation for the ship and the safety of navigation for the aircraft. But it's more complex than that now. That was where the origins of the aerographer rating came uh, about uh, nearly 100 years ago. But now, not only do we need to be experts in very technical fields of meteorology and oceanography, we have to be warfare experts. And that's where uh, our sailors are really providing that uh, tip of the spear support for our carrier strike groups and amphibious ready groups because they're taking the uh, they're analyzing the environmental environment and applying that to warfare areas anti-submarine warfare electromagnetic warfare how far can our radar see today compared to normal how far can the 
Red Force's radar see today compared to normal. Uh, they're applying this to information warfare. Uh, are our comms going to be degraded? Is our uh, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance going to be degraded because of the environmental conditions? Are we going to be able to put uh, bombs on target for a strike mission? So not only are they experts in their sciences, but they are experts in the warfare, their warfare fields, and that's what really makes naval oceanography uh, and especially the, the sailors at both the strike group oceanography team commands uh, really unique because they're experts not only in their field but experts in multiple warfare areas as well. All right well thank you very much you know this, uh, this opportunity to just sit down to come out here and meet all you folks uh, is really a, a great chance to just hear, hear more about stuff we just don't usually get to hear about. So I want to thank all of you we've been talking to from the Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command, METOC, Folks, thank you very much. This has been really illuminating. I know this is only just a brief skim by of the things that you do, but thank you for, your, for what you do out there. This special edition of the Cabot Ships podcast from the AFCA USNI West Symposium in San Diego has been sponsored by HII. HII is America's premier shipbuilder and is the designer and operator of the U.S. Navy's live virtual constructive training enterprise, the largest in the Department of Defense. HII delivers the all-domain advantage. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.